Well, that was fun, huh? Yeah, good to see Kyle and hear from you guys. Where are you guys? I don't know where you guys are. There you guys are. Um, and good to see all of you here this morning. Um, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, I had a, had a situation happen that reminded me of something that actually happened now a couple of years ago. That is, we had, we had rain and we had soccer. A couple of years ago, we had a, a soccer game that uh, was called, uh, was supposed to be happening, and it was, it was a rainy day, and I thought, um, they can't have this game in the rain. They just can't. I mean, this is not just a, a, a drizzle rain like we had the other day, but this is like a rain, 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 rain. And um, so we thought, Jen and I thought, okay, we're going to get out of a soccer game, and sure enough, we didn't. It was a different team uh, that called this game, and it was one of my daughter's games, and they played in the rain. In the pouring down rain, actually, what it turned out to be it turned out to be the front, the beginning front of some kind of major storm. So a couple of years ago, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go. Last minute, I'll go. You know, Jen, you can stay home, and I'll go to the game, and I'll sit in the rain. And what I'll do is I'll bring my umbrella and sit in the rain um, happily and watch the game. And uh, everything kind of worked out okay, except for the rain part. Um, it ended up just continuing to dump and dump and dump. And there was actually, it was kind of eerie. There was almost no one else out there, even on the roads. And we were out there sitting in a field watching a soccer game. And the players were soaked and, and drenched and, and the ball was skipping everywhere. And it was the, difficult for the goalie to handle and all that. And I thought, well, it's a simple deal. I'll just get my umbrella, my trusty umbrella. And I know you're not supposed to do this if you don't believe in, like, bad luck and stuff. But I did it in here, right? And I'll just sit under my umbrella for the game. Then I've got a nice little chair, and I'll kind of hold it down tight like this. And it was fine. Everything was fine, except after the first half. So in the middle of the second half, I'm sitting here like this, and I start to feel um, water dripping down my neck. Which, if you can like figure out what's going on with that, I, I'm like, my umbrella is actually... Not leaking, as in there's a rip, but the material is actually porous. Isn't that cool? So I have an umbrella, and the water is actually, this literal umbrella is actually coming through the fabric of the umbrella. Not at a seam, it's not ripped, it's just porous. After it gets soaked, after it gets enough, it gets waterlogged, I guess, and the water starts coming through my umbrella. So I'm sitting there thinking, I cannot believe this. I have an umbrella. It's the only umbrella I have. And I've never had that happen before, where an umbrella is actually leaking like that. And I sit there for long enough. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I have to go. And they asked, they asked my daughter if they could play it. she could play the second game because uh, they needed a player for the other team. And I said, no, I don't have an umbrella that works. I can't sit for that long and do that. And so this, actually two weeks ago, this was the event that reminded me of it again. I went to my niece's lacrosse game, and I'm standing out there for a little while, just maybe five, ten minutes, and it's raining. And I pull out the umbrella, and almost immediately it starts to drip on me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I have an umbrella that doesn't work. <laughs> I, I forgot, and I don't, but yet, yet, I still have it. I don't know why I still have it, right? That's the whole issue. And as I stand here with this umbrella this morning and think about bringing this in to show you my umbrella that doesn't work, that seems to work and looks fine from the outside, but actually is a waterlogged umbrella, it made me think very clearly of what this entire series that we've been in just did it is really all about. Um, this idea that somehow I can create something that will keep me dry and safe from the elements of the world, this place where I can go when it's nasty out and I can be safe under my umbrella. 
um, is really um, a, a lie and um, a false sense of security that we can create in our worlds where we think something exists that I can make, where I can get outside into the world, and instead of getting wet with all the things that happen out here, I can be safe in my world. And last week, if you were with us, we read um, a part of Romans chapter 3, that this week we're going to kind of continue and actually finish up this series called Just Did It. And what I'd like us to do this morning to begin is actually to go back to Romans chapter 3, um, verses 19 and 20, to read where we were last week, because this umbrella problem really is the problem of Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you um, in the pew around you. Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament, so it's kind of two-thirds of the way into your Bible. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And the, the Bible, by the way, if you don't have one, that's our gift to you this morning, that Bible that you have in front of you. And Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, were the concluding two verses from last week. And here's what they read, and I'll keep my umbrella up for now. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And I want you to think about my umbrella problem with this passage in particular. Now that we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So my umbrella will represent, in our case, the law. We talked about it last week being moral conformity. That we don't use the word law, but we just conform morally to certain standards around us. You know, dressing certain ways, listening to certain things, not saying certain things, embracing certain disciplines to kind of make us, we think, better. So we know that whatever, if you read in verse 19, whatever the law says or whatever moral conformity says, it says to those who are under the umbrella of the law, who are under the moral conformity. So I, I am listening to hear the things that I need to do in order to be kind of protected from the... From my own sin and my own failures, my own insecurities, my fears, my anxieties, my worries, the things that are happening out there that I go to bed at night and I think, I wonder if I'm ever good enough. I wonder if God will ever accept me. I wonder if people even like me. I wonder about all of this stuff, the future. I wonder about all this stuff. And if I would only get under the law, if I'd only get under uh, moral conformity and kind of do the things that other people are doing, then, then I might find a safe place and not get wet in that storm that's happening out there. And if only I get under the law. And verse 19 says, those who are under the law, it says, we know that whatever the law says, it says those are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So whatever the law says, so I'm looking up and here's what the law says to me, here's what moral conformity says to me, it says to those who have put themselves under the law, and what it finally says to me is, you can't ever do enough to make this work. It finally says to me, your umbrella doesn't work. The problem is, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by getting under the umbrella. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. When we put ourselves under the umbrella of moral conformity and say, I can create something in my world where my behavior will be consistent enough, my choices will be good enough, I will beat temptation enough, my family will be good enough, I'm strong enough to figure this out, I need to be disciplined enough to do this. I'm putting myself under the umbrella of moral conformity, under the law, and saying, God, 
it's raining out here, there's sin out here, there's problems, there's failures out here. I am coming under here to make myself dry and safe and warm and present myself to you. And God says, your umbrella, let's water in. It doesn't work. To anyone who's under the law, that is meant to make you conscious of the fact, conscious of sin, the fact that this thing doesn't even work, which is a very troubling problem because if I think by being under this umbrella, I have figured out a way to make myself presentable to God, if that doesn't work, what's plan B? If it doesn't work to get up early enough and pray and read my Bible, if it doesn't work not to curse, if it doesn't work not to smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do, if it doesn't work not to watch certain movies or listen to certain music, if that doesn't work, what does? How do I find peace with God and even with myself? What works if this doesn't? Because this is about all that I know. And last week we left in a very depressing situation, to be honest, because this thing, the thing that we tend to fall into, doesn't actually keep the water off of our heads. And so, enter verse 21, which is perhaps a verse that contains the best news in the entire Bible. But now, A righteousness from God, apart from what? Law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. But now, but now, it wasn't clear before, but it is now, Paul says to us. A righteousness from God has been made known, and it is apart from, from the umbrella. It is apart from the law. In other words, this will never work. It will never be good enough. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. And verse 23, many of you have memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Allow this reality to sink in for you here in verses 21 to 23. Imagine this umbrella, this world in which we create, in which we say, man, God, there's got to be some way. I know you can be pleased with me if I just obey more. I mean, how many have never, how many of us have never felt that, that, that twinge within our heart when we fail and we know we're not doing the right thing. We say, God, come on. Ah, I know I can do better. I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to give you everything I have. If, and I told you, I think I remember telling you, I did this as a kid when I lost my A-team truck outside. I prayed to God. And I said, God, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give, give you my life if you'll help me find my toy. And I found my toy and I guess I gave him my life. I don't know. But we all tend to respond that way to God. We say, God, if only, if only, if only then I will do this. Man, I know that I've blown it. I know I haven't been a good enough husband, good enough wife, a good enough son or daughter. I haven't been good enough whatever, mom or dad or, or a grandparent. I'm not, I've just not been faithful. I need to read another book. I need to try harder. I need to go to church. I guess maybe that's why some of you are here this morning. You're like, I need some God stuff in my life. I don't know what that means, but I just need to be in a, sit in a 
pew somewhere, and that's kind of spiritual by itself. And we kind of build all this stuff up and say, maybe, maybe, if I can build something in my life where God would look at me, if there is indeed a God, he can look at me and say, man, well done, good effort, way to go. You didn't go to that movie when people did. You did come to church when others around you were like, no, that's dumb and irrelevant, that's old school, who does that anymore? But you did it. Way to go. Way to get under that umbrella. Verse 23 is like, listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The point being, creating a system, doing things to try to prove to God that somehow I'm good enough for your blessing is like taking my umbrella in particular, or even your really good golf umbrella, and going out in a hurricane and expecting to be dry. It just doesn't ever work. It's impossible. And so it doesn't matter if I can build an umbrella like this or you can get a canopy. I have a a canopy, by the way. I really love my pop-up canopy. I'll I'll have to share that with you one time. We used that when we were down in Myrtle Beach this past summer. And, man, I love to pop up that canopy and sit in the shade of it. It doesn't actually block the sun. That's a whole other story. But it does do something a false sense of security of keeping rain off of me. Even if you have a canopy, you know, you, whatever you want to build before God and say, God, take my moral works, take my good works. This is what I got for you. And then enter the hurricane of sin in which it is whipping in every direction. It's coming in the side. It's coming from underneath. It's coming down on top. It is firing. It's blowing through in, in, in crazy ways. And you say, but I'm about as safe as I can be. I'm trying, God. I'm trying. The problem is if you just get one drop of water on you, you're guilty. If we just fail in one area of the law, we've blown it. It's not good enough. We need perfection. And so God is saying, listen, a righteousness from God has come apart from the law, apart from your effort to stay dry in the hurricane. For all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. Verse 24. And are, and what's that next word? And are... Well, right. The word is justified. Let's say that one day there. And are justified. This is the first occurrence in our section now of the word justified. It's going to show up seven times right here. And are justified freely by his grace through the what? Redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is a powerful concept. The whole idea of justification is huge now for Paul as he kind of turns into this. He's saying, you were, you were wrong and now you're right. God looked at you and said, you're a sinner, but now you're made right. And he's done that by basically buying you through the redemption, the purchase that came by Christ Jesus. And how did that work? Verse 25, God, this is going to be hard to process, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. God the Father took Jesus the Son. Now, let me be clear. God the Father is God. Jesus the Son is also fully God and fully man. And he's, God the Father takes his Son Jesus and as a sacrifice of atonement, which goes back to the Old Testament um, sacrificial system, he sacrifices Jesus. Jesus dies. His blood is shed to, to take care of, essentially to purchase our salvation, to purchase our forgiveness, to purchase our redemption. And then we get access, if you will, to the righteousness of God through faith in believing in what God did through his son Jesus. That is where this comes from. 
He did this to demonstrate, verse 25 continues, he did this to demonstrate his what? What's that next word? He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his what? Justice. Again, verse 26, at the present time, so as to be what? Just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Over and over and over and over and over again, we see Paul writing, and God kind of telling us, he did this to demonstrate his justice. In other words, it's not good enough. And here's what we do as parents sometimes. Sometimes as parents, we'll turn the other, we'll turn the other direction when we see our kids do something wrong. Like, yeah, they did that, but I know it was wrong, but I'm just way too tired to deal with that right now. Sometimes cops do that. They'll pull you over and they'll say, yeah, just a warning this time, especially as a man, if you start crying, right? I mean, that kind of works. Actually, they'll give you two tickets if you do that. But um, they'll kind of sometimes turn the other cheek. You broke the law, but eh, we're going to kind of let you go. We call that grace. We call that mercy. But at that moment, it is not justice, is it? Because it's almost impossible, not quite impossible, it's very difficult to be both gracious and just at the same time, to be merciful and just at the same time. And yet God demonstrated his justice because when we sin, it requires a blood sacrifice. It requires death. And this is why the Old Testament sacrificial system, animals were slaughtered consistently. And now in the New Testament time, we don't have to do that because once for all, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to die on the cross that his blood is shed once for all for us. That it is now just. He looks at our sin and he says, um, I see it. I see what you did. That little thing that you think I didn't see, I saw that. The thought you had, I saw that. When you were about to say that and you kind of changed it but you still were deceptive, I saw that. And every time we sin, justice is required. Not simply turning away and saying, I don't have the energy to deal with that now, or I'm going to give you a break on this one. No. Every time there's sin, justice is required. And God in his patience and his forbearance offers to us Jesus' blood as the coverage for our sins so that justice can be done, not that he turns the other way. The question then becomes in verse 27, it's a great question. Where then is boasting? It is excluded on what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So here's what that means. Where then is boasting? And here's the deal. If I have this umbrella, if I were able to make my righteousness look like this, which is a pretty pitiful piece of uh, machinery right now, whatever you call this, if I were to... To, to build my obedience into this and say, man, check this out. Check out what I do. And I don't, we don't talk like this, but we live like this. I, wa- I want you to see something about me. I want you to see my image or reputation. And what you see is this. You're like, okay, this is what Tim is like. This is what he does. These are his disciplines. These are his habits. These are his personality, his tendencies. This is what I know about him. He's good at this, not good at that. Okay, I kind of see all that. And I build something like this. And you might say, yeah, he's really good at that. And yeah, not so good at that. And you might know me even more, if you know me even more personally, you might know, man, here are the struggles, here are the, here are the sins that he struggles with. Here are the temptations that he fights. And here's what he tries to do to kind of build a safe place to kind of hide from sin in his world. And some of that is good, right? But you might also say, man, I'm so glad I'm not like him. Because check it out. Like, I, 
I don't wrestle with that at all. Like, my umbrella is so much stronger and bigger than his. I mean, I'm not going to tell him that, but, but it is. Like, I've never done what he does. Like, I don't struggle the way he does. And I'll never tell you that, but, but truthfully, man, I look at your reputation, and I think it's not as good as mine. I mean, we're not going to say that to one another because that would ruin our reputation, but I'm going to think it. Right? Like, man, boy, they do that seriously. I can't believe they dress like that. I mean, they do that on, you know, whatever day of the week that is. I can't believe they do that. They spend their, I can't believe they do that. I can't, wow. They went to see that, really. They listened to that. They posted that on Facebook. Are you kidding me? But hey, I mean, who am I to judge? I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. And the question then, where then is boasting? It, it, it's excluded. Because this doesn't work anyway. My approach to say, God, I want, to be, I want you to be pleased by what I do. I want to show you that I love you, that I'm passionate for you and all that, because here's what I build. I'm going to present that to you. And God said, hey, just, just a reminder, when you build that, that's all fine and good. But, but every time you fail within that, every time the water drips down your neck, I want you to be reminded of the fact that that doesn't work anyway. I want you to remember that that's not it. You can't ever build something that will keep you dry in a hurricane like that. In the hurricane of my sin and your sin. It doesn't work. Where then is boasting? It's gone. It's excluded. Man is justified apart from building his own little umbrella. And then he goes on in verses 29 to 31. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God, in other words, there's not another way to be justified before God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. In other words, this is the final statement here from Paul. In other words, we don't nullify the law. We don't say moral conformity is bad. I want you to hear this, all right? We don't say that, that trying to be moral and trying to obey is bad. Because if we take that away, what else do we have? Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience is right and good. I'm not suggesting that we remove morality and remove obedience from our vocabulary and from our disciplines. But rather, I'm saying, in trying to obey, every time that we fail, which is consistent, every time we feel that drip down the neck, is the tendency to say, I've got to just try it a little harder. Someone struggled with this, they wrote a book, I'm going to buy that, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bear down and build it bigger and better. Or, as Paul will say, every time we, the law is here to speak to those who are under the law, morality is here to speak to those under morality, that it makes you conscious of your sin. Not conscious of your morality. So when I fail and when I sin... The question becomes not do I just simply try harder to build something stronger and bigger before God to say, God, I hope you're pleased with this. But rather, every time I I sin and fail within the context of trying to obey God, it becomes a drip-feed reminder of his grace to me. So that when I see you and you see me, that I'm not judging you. So that I'm not saying, hey, my umbrella is a little bit bigger than yours, a little bit stronger. Where then is boasting? Who cares? Who cares if I never went to see a movie? Seriously? Who cares? Who cares if I never listened to that? Who cares if you had perfect attendance at church for the rest of your life, really? Who cares? Who cares if they're wearing this or they talk like that? 
The morality points us toward our sin, not toward our goodness. The moral conformity points us toward our need for a Savior. And so as we think about this, let's, let's drill this down a little bit to our world. Right now is graduation season, right? Everyone's graduating from something. Seriously, a friend of mine uh, said he was going on a little bit of a graduation um, boycott because his, his three-year-old preschooler was graduating to four-year-old preschool. Uh, I don't know when that happened, you know, when all that movement happened where everyone graduates from everything. Um, you graduate from three-year to four-year, four-year to five. I mean, at some point, if everybody graduates all the time, graduation becomes utterly meaningless, right? But anyway, nonetheless, there are legitimate graduations, right? You're finishing the high school deal. You're finishing um, college. Good for you. Middle school, let's kind of give that a who, elementary school, all right? Even, okay, you're preschool. Congratulations to you, too. You made it through. Despite that, okay, you're graduating, you're finishing. It's that season of, man, what, what can be new? What can be out there? And where am I going to go? What's going to happen? And many of you hosted parties and all that. And you're a graduating person or you're, you're a young adult kind of thinking about my future. Where am I going to be? And, and here's the deal. Here's what this message is about for you. No matter what strength you bring to the table, right? No matter what energy you bring to the table, no matter what creativity you bring to the table, no matter what unique elements you bring to the table, as you build your life and build it well, build it hard and strong, fast on the foundation of God's word and the strength of community, trusting the spirit of God to keep shaping you. Build it well like that. That is great. But as you do it and as you fail, let that drip on the back of your neck remind you, God, everything that you've given to me to explore in this world is a great gift of your grace that I'm going to speak about When I speak about my failures, I'm not going to hide that in the corner because I want to build this thing where no one thinks I fail. When you fail, allow that to be that time where you speak to people about the grace of Jesus. Where you speak to your friends about, man, let me just tell you where I've been at. Here's what happened in my world. I'm just thankful for the forgiveness and grace of my Savior to get me through. This is what that grace is meant to be in your life and mine, to bring us back to the cross. Parents of young children, even children who are a little older, same thing for us, right? We're raising little people in our homes who are going to look at us and say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. I just need to kind of do good things. That's what mom and dad do. They just do good things. And they talk about people who do bad things, and they do good things. And here's what Romans says to us. Listen, he did it. Not us. We don't need to raise a bunch of moral kids. We need to raise a bunch of kids who know Jesus and speak of his grace and then obey him out of that. So when they fail and when they need correction and nurturing, both negative and positive correction from us as parents, are we speaking to these little people in our home using the words of Jesus and the cross and forgiveness, pointing them back to say, Guys, this thing that happened here when you, when you scribbled on your sister's wall and you ripped her notebook and when you, you know, didn't drive her home from this event, this is just sin. It's just selfishness. This is what Jesus died for. And the language of the cross becomes language that you use to create reality in your home that it's not about being good enough. It's not about just cleaning your room and just obeying mom and dad. It's, that's not enough because all that creates in us is a world in which we think we can stay dry in the hurricane, and we can't. We need the grace of God. Some of you are going through the empty nest syndrome right now or kind of 
phasing into that where your kids are graduating from college, another legitimate graduation, um, and they're kind of looking back now in your world, and they're looking at you, and they're going to take one kind of, not just one, but they're, they're now taking kind of a long look back home. And some of you are thinking, no, they're not taking a long look back home. They're just kind of taking a long look out there. No, they want to come home for free food. You know that, right? And to use your laundry uh, facility. So they're going to come home for a little bit, right? But here's the deal. They're going to kind of look back at you as they get into stuff, and they're like, how did mom and dad do this? And they're not, they're not in debt terribly. They're not screaming at each other all the time. They're not this or they're not that, and I just feel like losing it. I mean, how did they build this thing in their life that they have? And they're going to look back. They may not tell you that, but they're going to look back. And so the question becomes for you in this season of life, how am I taking these moments to kind of coach my child who's kind of launching into this world to finalize this all of this is about Jesus and what he did, not me and what I built, not me and my strength. Those who are in your most senior years, and I'll let you kind of put yourself in that category if you want to. Uh, we need, we need your example. We need your modeling at every facet and every generation that we have. What does it look like to mentor well now, to teach us to speak about Jesus and his grace, to teach us to speak about the forgiveness of the cross, to show us in both word and deed how we do this. Most people in their twilight years have this advantage. They don't need to prove anything anymore to anybody, right? You're done with that, most of you. You've done the business thing. You've been successful enough for what you wanted to be, or maybe you weren't quite, but you've kind of come to grips with where you are and what you're doing right now. You're not in the let's build an empire stage anymore. You're past that. Help those of us who are still thinking, I can build the empire, and it can be me, and it could be my strength and my goodness, and maybe God will be pleased with me, and maybe my wife or husband will like me more. Help those of us who are still there. Remind us we need Jesus, the cross, forgiveness, and grace. Paul's message is very clear. It's very straightforward. The law, moral conformity, reminds us not of our goodness, but of our sin. The cross is an incredible grace of God to do for us what we can never do on our own, to find peace with one another and with God, accessible only by faith, by believing. This is so hard, isn't it? Just by believing. But what do I do? Believe. But what should I do? Believe. But okay, then after I do that, what do I do? You believe. And then what do I do then? Well, then you believe. You have faith. Then you have trust. Okay, well, then what's next? I mean, how do I earn it? I mean, how do I show them that I... Well, you believe. And you keep coming back to talking about and living the reality of the cross. This morning, as we finish this series, we have the opportunity also to share in communion together. For us at Grace Point... Communion is uh, done once a quarter, and it's that time as a church family where we get to kind of rally around the, the cross and really what uh, defines us primarily, and that is the hope of Jesus to the world. If you've never been with us before, we share together the bread and the cup. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus um, sat down with his disciples in the upper room. We read about it in the Gospel of John primarily, where Jesus sits down with his disciples and he shares a final meal with them before he goes to the cross, before he dies. And in that, he shares um, bread, if you will, and wine together. And they eat and drink. And Jesus says to them, when, when you meet together, inasmuch as you uh, meet together, 
remember me. Remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do that in remembrance of him, in remembering who Jesus was and what he did. And the, the bread represents his broken body um, on the cross, and the cup represents the blood that he shed on the cross. And so as the, I'm going to invite the ushers, the communion ushers and the worship team to come up now um, to get in their spots. As these men and women are coming up, I want you to know you are, uh, regardless of your affiliation with our church, if you have come to that place where you um, have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, have at it. Share with us in communion. Join with us in taking communion together and enjoying the, uh, the fellowship that that brings and the remembrance of what that, that means. And as we share communion today, my hope is that we can say again, okay, as, I, as I taste, as I eat, and as I drink, this is the reality of my faith, that Jesus died. And I'm not going to be contemptuous of that. I'm not going to put aside his sacrifice and try to build my own system. I'm going to come back, I'm going to come back, and come back. I'm going to trust And when I fail, I'm going to use that failure to remind me of the cross and the grace of the cross. I'm going to ask Pastor Joel to come up and have a prayer for the bread before we take that. After he prays, um, we will distribute the elements to you and we will wait to eat them until all have been served.